So we'll keep going in Revelation today. We've seen that this is a very simple book, has a very simple message. It's Jesus speaking to us, and Jesus says, Hey, I'm writing this to my servants, not to other people's servants, my servants. It's written to believers, those who follow Jesus. It has a very simple message. His message is, I want you to be a good witness. And then he gives us instructions on how to be a good witness. And he gives us instructions from two basic eras, what was and what is, and then what is to come. So we've been talking about the what was and is part, which is the seven churches from the Roman province of Asia, now Turkey. And we've looked at Ephesus, the church that had truth. They had a truth culture. Jesus is really clear. I like the truth culture. I want you to keep the truth culture, but it's not enough. When you have a truth culture, you need love too. Or you just can't be the witness I need you to be. And then we look at Smyrna, the Smyrna, the the age of persecution in the church. Ephesus was the apostolic age. And Jesus says, look, I know people are dying. You're under tremendous duress in this era. I just ask you to do one thing. Embrace death. Just embrace it. Because in dying you live. Die to the world, die to self. That's the real source of life. In Pergamos, the capital of the Roman province of Asia, he says where the Satan's throne is. He said, you know, you got a Balaam problem in this, in this era. This is the era after Constantine made... Christianity, the official religion. And people wanted it both ways. We want to have the world and Jesus. We don't want to, we don't want to leave Jesus. We, we, Balaam didn't want to upset his prophetic office by saying something untrue. And yet, he wanted the world and the things of the world, particularly the money. And Jesus says, yeah, you can't really have it both ways. What I, what I want you to do is reject the world. Embrace the kingdom. And then we saw Thyatira, the corrupt church. The Middle Ages, where power became the primary thing that people were after. And we had not just Balaam, who wanted it both ways. We had Jezebel, who was actually a false prophetess. And the church became a place where offices were bought and sold. And people ascended to power for the purpose of land conquest and and it wasn't a spiritual oriented office it was a political oriented office Jesus says you know when you have abusive authority and you have a position from which you can speak out you need to do it speak out against corrupt authority because truth is the basis of being a good servant so today we're going to look at Sardis And this is now chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. You will not know what hour I have come upon you. 
You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defied their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The angel in the church of Sardis, of course, angel is a word for messenger. And we said earlier that this is likely the the spiritual messenger appointed in this church. And Jesus introduces himself in this particular church as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We can look at the uh, back in chapter 1 and we can see that the seven spirits are in the throne room in chapter 1 verse 4. It, it introduces this scene and there's Jesus in the throne room in heaven. He has the seven spirits there. So it seems perhaps the emphasis here is Jesus is the spiritual authority over all. And he's the one that's going to decide what's righteous and what's not righteous. And here we have an era where as far as people are concerned, it seems like a very righteous era. It seems like an era where things are being done the right way. Everything's Christian. Everything is holy. But that's just a reputation. It's not the reality. Why is it not a reality? Because it's just a reputation. It's not real. He says, I know you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Now let's look at the overall message here. It's real interesting. They have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. So the, the key here, what Jesus wants is a living church. He wants us to live life alive. He wants our works to be alive. This is all written to believers. Not to be dead. Which means we have a choice on a daily basis whether our faith can be living and active or whether it can be dead. And he says here, what you're focusing on is having a reputation for being alive when actually you're dead. Now let's look at the consequence to this, because this is pretty interesting. Verse 5, he overcomes will be clothed in the book of, in white garments. That's good. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Well, that sounds very scary. Here's why that sounds very scary. If you look at Revelation 20, verse 15, you'll see why. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That doesn't sound good. And if we go back up just a few verses, in verse start in verse 11, this is the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. So here we have a time where Jesus' face causes heaven and earth to melt. That's a powerful face. And I saw the dead, small and great. So everybody's here, small and great, standing before God. And books were open, books plural. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you got all these books and this book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. So it appears all dead will be judged according to their works, believers and unbelievers. There's people that think that this is just unbelievers that are at this judgment. 
I'm not sure myself. I think the principles are the same. But the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it. I don't know what it means the sea delivers up the dead. Pretty sure it doesn't mean the ocean, because the heaven and the earth are gone. Metaphorically, the sea is often used for the world. The world is a, in the scripture I'm talking about, the world is a chaotic place where you never know when the next storm's going to come up. There's no real form to it. It's just ebbing and flowing. And so perhaps what this means is the dead come from, that are, and death and Hades come, and then everybody else comes, wherever they are. And then death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. So we, we tend to think of Hades as the place where people remain forever who are condemned. But actually Hades is thrown in the lake of fire. It's actually the lake of fire that the, that's the thing that continues on. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, since this is written to his servants, what do we conclude from this? I think there's two possible conclusions. One is that he can fire his servants, and if you don't measure up, he's going to throw you into hell. He's going to throw you into the lake of fire. And so, it's all about performance. It's all about keeping up with what he's given us to do. That's one possible conclusion. That conclusion, however, flies in the face of basically everything else that Scripture says. So that one's one's probably not really available to us. The other conclusion, I think, is to marry this with one of the other churches that we saw where it says that the second death will not hurt you. And this is the the persecuted church in Smyrna. And that's in 2 verse uh, 11. So he's saying here, embrace death. Embrace death and death won't hurt you. In this this, uh, Sardis, he's saying embrace life, true life. If you embrace false life, you're going to have your name blotted out. And in Smyrna, he's saying, embrace death, and the second death will not hurt you. And I think what's happening here is he's saying the same thing. The second death is the lake of fire. And I showed you when we went through in Smyrna, these verses that show the beast and the false prophet in the throne room. And fire comes from the throne and consumes them. That's in Daniel. And then I showed you that in Revelation, it says that the, the beast and the false prophet... I'm sorry, in Daniel, it's just the beast. And, it, and I showed you in Revelation where the beast and the false prophet are just thrown straight into the lake of fire. And I, I showed you the passage in Revelation that says that there's no more need of sun in the new earth because Jesus is so bright. And the conclusion that I've drawn is that The lake of fire is the presence of the consuming fire of the universe, God Himself, and Jesus particularly. The one from whose face the whole heaven and earth melts. Does that sound hot? And so here you've got the presence of Jesus, and there will be those who bask in the presence, who revel in the presence, who have joy and take energy and life from the presence and those who hate the presence. Like Gollum, the creature in Lord of the Rings that can't stand the sun. 
Even the moon bothers him because he's become a creature of darkness. So, yes? What's the point of judging yeah, so the point of, yeah, so that's interesting. When unbelievers are judged, it appears that their works are judged as well. And there are lesser and greater stations for them. It, it, you know, it, it, it seems that so there's there's some very, very and we'll get we'll get into this more as we go along, but we can we'll you take seven times before people remember it, so it doesn't hurt to cover it multiple times. <laughs> but you know, it's very interesting. There's a lot of things where it says Jesus will say something like, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for you, Capernaum. So here you got Capernaum, a righteous Jewish city. I'm, I mean, compare, humanly speaking, it was very righteous. The people, in, the people who lived in Capernaum by the time they were 15, they knew the whole Bible perfect. I mean, their Awana program made ours look like nothing. <laughs> it's not just select verses. It was the whole thing. And, you know, that's the place Jesus chose to be His headquarters. And He said, you know, in the judgment, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked place. He couldn't find ten righteous guys. He said, if I can find ten, I'll save it. But it's going to be better for you in the judgment in Capernaum because what you saw should have made you do this. And if Sodom and Gomorrah had have seen that, this is what they would have done. You don't get told what would have happened very often. But it's going to be better for them. Well, that's fascinating. And then there's another verse where it's talking about Satan. It's the passage where it says, Oh, Lucifer, star of the morning, how you've fallen. You said you would ascend to the Most High, but your heart was corrupt. And then it says, And what's going to happen is, you said I'll be high, but what's actually going to happen is we're going to bring you down low. In fact, you're going to be so low, people are going to walk by and look at you and say, Is that the guy that made the whole earth tremble? That guy? And I think, well, when is that going to happen? Who's going to be walking by saying that? Is that going to be the demons walking by and saying that? Is that going to be just the... So the conclusion I've come up to is just a model. It's just a model because the point of Revelation is not to figure out the system so we can game it. That seems to be like what our normal approach is. The point is to read, hear, do. And so the, the conclusion I've come from it is the model I draw is the new earth is going to be a place where everybody's there. Uh, there's this verse that we'll get to later in Revelation that says, outside the city are the dogs, the sexually immoral, those who love and practice a lie, and they're not allowed to go in the city. Well, that's the new earth. After all this white throne stuff has happened, after everybody's been thrown in the lake as far, well, who's that? Who's that that's outside not allowed? So my conclusion is it looks like the lake of fire is living in the new earth alongside the redeemed in the presence of Jesus and not having been restored to the or yeah, having been restored to the point where it's a good thing. Yeah. So therefore it would it would seem to me like that if you're an unbeliever, the you know, the Satan would be like the worst of the worst. And he's the guy that people go by and say, is that who? And maybe for others, it's not, it's not so bad. So, 
I don't know. I'm a, we, get, we just get hints, right? We just get hints because the point is not, let me tell you what's going to happen. The point is, here's what you need to be doing now. Yes. The, uh, back to the blotting out thing. The first occurrence of that is in Exodus 32 after the golden calf. And Moses says, let me go try to make atonement for you. And it says, uh, he goes to the Lord and says, if you will forgive their sin, good. But if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. But the Lord responded to Moses and says, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And so these are, you have to take them as believers. These are the children of Israel that walked out and they committed sin and did the golden calf thing. Yeah, well, the way I take this is if you get blotted out, it doesn't mean you weren't written in to start with. Because there's another place in Revelation here we'll see that says everybody's name in the book of life was written from the foundation of the world. Okay, so I, I, I don't... Nobody will snatch you out of my hand. It's, it's over and over again. But here's the point. The point's to believers. And what he's saying is, if you won't embrace death, you're going to miss out on life. If you won't let the, the threat of death hurt you in this life, then the second death which is the consuming fire will hurt you in the next life. And if, as in this church in Sardis, if you will embrace true life, then you get life as a reward. And if you embrace false life, the facade of life, making people think you're alive when really you're not, what you're going to get is blotted out. And you're going to lose all these rewards. And, and in fact, we'll see crowns. Let's look at the, let's, well, let's just look at verse uh, 3. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief when you will not know what hour I've come upon you. So, this another principle here. If we're not watching to be judged and living as though to be judged, it's going to come on us in a way that's totally unexpected. So, look at 2 Timothy 4 8. 2 Timothy 4 8. This is Paul writing, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, so this idea of God as judge is something that's on every page, the, the, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also who have loved His appearing. Those who are watching. Are you watching? It's interesting here because Sardis was a city that was impregnable. It had like a wall and it was built on a cliff or something. I don't know the particulars. But it was considered an impregnable city. And it was breached twice. Both times because they got so complacent about being impregnable, they stopped watching. And people snuck in. Okay, So it's a very graphic depiction. We are also impregnable. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the truth of God's Word. Nothing shall prevail against us. And greater is He that's in us that's in the world, but only if we're watching. And if we're not watching, bad things can take place. And it's the same way with judgment. And he's saying, look, watch. And it's intriguing here because he, he, this is the, the, the prescription for living a false life. Living a false life, living a dead faith instead of a live faith. Now let's look at James real quick, James 2, because it's kind of the, uh, I guess, the most famous dead works passage. And I, for lack of time, I can't go through every single thing today. If you've got some questions, you can ask. But 
let me just do a couple of pieces of it. So 114, what does it profit, my brethren? Now the Bible is a Bible about profit. It, this is the most capitalistic book that ever. And you know, as a matter of fact, the, one of the most famous chapters of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the love chapter. Isn't that more really famous? Did you ever catch why it tells us to love people? It's profitable. Because he says, look, if I even give myself to be burned as a martyr and have not love, it profits me nothing. So what, what, the reason we do all this is because it's profitable. And God designed us to always seek our best interest. That's why He says, love others as you love yourself. He built us to seek our own best interest. No one ever does anything that they don't perceive to be in their best interest. Often it's not, but they perceive that it is. So what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Sozo. Sozo means something's delivered from something. So you always have to look at the context and say, what is being delivered from what? Well, let's see what we're seeing here. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, if someone's naked, what do they need to be delivered from? Nakedness, cold, exposure. If they have no food to eat, what do they need to be delivered from? Hunger, right? Okay, so if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. What good is that? I give you my spiritual blessing. I'm giving you spiritual food. Is that what's needed in that moment? No. We don't need spiritual when we're dying of hunger and exposure. We need clothes and food at that point in time. And so, don't give me the spiritual platitudes when there's work to do. That doesn't profit people. Now, does spiritual food profit people? Absolutely it does. But that's not all there is. And then we look over to kind of the end of this whole thing about faith and works being what God wants us to do. Take your faith, put it into action, and it ends with verse 26 and says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So let's go through this analogy. I have a body. You can see it. If my body suddenly turned blue and my tongue stuck out and I fell over on the ground and stopped breathing and you couldn't resuscitate me, everyone would say, Tim is dead. Okay? Why? Is it because my body disappeared? Is my body still there? Could you walk over here and look at me and say, there's poor Tim. His body is still there. And he's dead. Could you see me? Yeah. But why am I dead? The Spirit left. Okay? The body without the Spirit is dead. Why does the Spirit make the body alive? It makes it stand up and talk. It makes it breathe. It makes it interact with other people. Life is not existence. The body exists without the Spirit. Life is interaction. It's animation. That's what life is. And the Spirit makes the body live. Well, as the body without the Spirit is dead, so 
Faith without works is dead. In the analogy, which one is faith, body or spirit? Body. So the body is. It exists. You believe in Jesus? You have faith. That, that's all it takes is to believe in Jesus. And then your faith has given you new life. The Spirit indwells you. You're a new creation in Christ. That's a, Just like my body's here because my mother birthed me. How much did I have to do with that? Did I plan it? Did I have any participation in the causation of it? Was I even aware of it? It just happened to me. It was a gift. Well, when I received the free gift of being a new creature in Christ, I didn't do anything for that either. It's just I just receive it. But now it's real. It exists. The body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Faith is something we receive. It's a gift. It exists. But if it's blue and laying on the floor and not breathing, it still exists, but it's dead. And what animates faith? What makes faith come alive? Works. Works is like the Spirit. It makes it come alive. And so, when we have a faith that's interested in appearances, when we have a faith that's interesting in the opinion of others, when we have a faith that's trying to look righteous but does not really care about others. A faith that wants to appear true, but is not actually true. A a faith that tries to speak the appearance of truth, but does not actually speak truth. A faith that wants to look like it loves others, but does not actually seek the best interest of others. Then we're dead. We have the faith. Faith still exists. It's just dead. And you know, you can be successful at this. Because this church, Sardis, had a reputation for being alive. But you know, one of the things about living a fraudulent life is at least one person always knows. At least one always knows, right? We know. And so what he's saying here is, look, if you're living that kind of life, here's what you do. Strengthen what remains. Okay, Now that's encouraging, isn't it? Because... When your life has decayed and you've started this path of living a hypocritical life, living a fraudulent life, just work with what you've got. You've got all these bad habits. You've got all these bad patterns. Just start working with what you have. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, He doesn't ever ask us to do something that we're not capable of doing. Just start with what you have. And the next thing he tells us to do is remember. Look at verse 3. Remember, therefore, now how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Let's look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter has a great verse about this, about remembering. 2 Peter 1, verse 5. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Okay, Faith is something that exists. It's a gift. We have a new creation in Christ. We have a faith. So what he wants us to do now is add to it. He's not add to being born again. Being born again is a gift. What he wants us to do is add to our life. What does he want us to add? Uh, Well, uh, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Okay, why? Verse 8, if these things are yours and abound... 
You'll never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be fruitful. He doesn't want us to be barren. Can we have a barren faith? Obviously, yes. That would be the same thing as a dead faith. It's not producing any profit. It's not benefiting anybody. It's speaking as though it benefits people. It's creating an illusion of benefit, but it's not actually benefiting anybody. For he who lacks these things... So you got the faith, but you haven't added diligence and virtue and knowledge and self-control. You've got it, but you had not added. Is what? Short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten. So our fundamental problem is we forgot. What did you forget? That he was cleansed from his old sins. See, we forgot. We forgot that Jesus came in and cleansed us. And now we're living as though we have to create our own righteousness. Make the rules, keep the rules. Build the facade, maintain the facade. Why? We're looking at the opinions of other people. We are trying to be judged by others and we're saying, I'm okay because Dan thinks I'm okay. How do I know Dan thinks I'm okay? Because I've projected onto Dan that that he thinks I'm okay. Do I actually know what Dan thinks? Dan probably thinks I'm a jerk. But Dan is worried about what I think of him, so he's pretending like I'm righteous. So now, we are now holding, propping up each other's facades about how wonderful we are. And then Dan will go home and say, can you believe what a jerk that guy is? And that's what we do. Because we're watching the wrong thing. But what Jesus says is, I want you to watch for me. I'm coming back. Behold, I'm returning, and my what is in my hand? My reward is in my hand to give to those who've been faithful. That's what I'm coming back to do. If you won't watch, you're going to come on a thief. Now, is a thief welcome or unwelcome? Looked for or unlooked for? Yeah, I'm going to come like a... You're not going to be glad that you're at this judgment. You won't be glad. But if you will... If you will watch, you'll be glad I came back. You'll be happy. And that's the position I want you to be in. And, and so it's very encouraging here to the extent we are living a life that's kind of a fraud. Here, here's, here's the way out. Start with what you have. Start remembering we're cleansed from our old sins. We don't have to pretend like we're not sinful. We can be real that we are sinful. And then we can start living a life to say, how can I bless others with my gifts? How can I speak the truth to false authorities? How can I love others with the truth that I have without, without bending the truth? But how can I seek the best interests of others? We can live with that. We can start with where we are. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, let's just end with uh, a passage that we've already gone over several times. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we've gone through this, and this is Judgment Day. And I just want to underpin that Judgment Day is a fire day. And we're all going to be in the presence of the consuming God who has the face that causes the heaven and earth to flee, who caused the prophet Isaiah, the righteous prophet Isaiah, to say, man, I've got dirty lips. And when I'm in Jesus' presence, I just feel dirty. That's where we're going to be.
And it says in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, we're God's fellow workers. You're God's field. You're God's building. Here's another analogy. We're like a building. According to the grace of God which is given to me, Paul says, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and other workers build on it, like Apollos and people like that. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So the, the, the controversy here is people are saying, well, should we call, follow Paul? Should we call, follow Apollos? And what Paul is saying, you know, you know who's going to determine that? Not me. If other people come in and lay on this foundation, there's just one foundation, that's Jesus. I laid that. Nobody's laying a different foundation. If they do that, they're false. Don't listen to them. But you know who's going to judge what other people bring in and their teaching? You know who's going to judge that? Not me. Don't ask me. Who's going to judge that? It's Jesus. Verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. It's kind of like the three little pigs. Except instead of wind, it's fire. You know, the quality of the house was revealed when the wolf blew. And the two of them didn't stand, right? It's going to be the same sort of thing. What did you build on this foundation? And the interesting thing here is, this is actually talking specifically about Apollos, these other teachers, these other apostles that are building by investing in these churches. But I think the way he uses the language when he says each one. We're all in this... We're told to do the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is make disciples of other people. And we're doing that all the time whether we mean to or not. Your example in your life, the way you live, is influencing other people. What are you building with that influence? Is it something lasting? Or is it something that's just going to burn up? That's not going to have any enduring quality? The day will declare it, the judgment day, because it will be revealed by fire. Because God is going to sort out the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's going to be a lot of surprises. Probably some things that actually weren't good are going to be deemed to be good because of what was intended. And there probably some, and, and I'm talking about actually good in terms of the results that it that it had and the you know consequences in daily life. And it's probably going to be just the opposite, because thoughts and tense of the heart, and God judges clearly based on what our capabilities are. He judges based on what opportunities we have, to whom much is given, much is expected, to whom little is given, little is expected. There's a curve. And people are going to say, hey, wait a minute, I worked all day. You're going to give me the same wage as the guy that worked an hour? Yeah, because the last will be first, the first will be last. It's not going to be a judgment like we would do. It's going to be a judgment where God meets every one of us right where we are. And He's going to ask, what did you build with the materials I gave you? If anyone's work which he built on endures, he will receive a reward. That's what this is about. Do you want to live a rewarding life? And the reward of life is life. The reward of life is life. If anyone's work is burned, so if what we do on this life just goes up in flames, he'll suffer loss. It's a loss. It means that we will have to look back on our life and say, I wasted it. I wasted my opportunity. That's not going to be a pleasant time. We will see as we get on in Revelation that there's going to come a time when all tears are wiped away. What does there have to be if tears are wiped away? What has to be present? Tears. Tears. 
So there's going to be a time where we get to learn. Learn is, Have you noticed learning is not comfortable? Have you ever cried because you were so frustrated because of something you were having to learn and you couldn't get it? And then you finally got it and it was such a great... Well, that's the way I think this is going to be. God doesn't want us to miss out. And the clear message is, if you will have this embrace death in this life, then the second death won't hurt you. If you'll embrace life in this life, you get way more life in the next one. And what life is, is letting your faith be animated by works and doing things that are true to serve others, not being a fake. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Dr. Rodmacher used to have a phrase, bikini believers at the Bema Seat. <laughs> I guess it, the Bible, that's actually not biblical. The Bible actually says naked. Because there's no defense. There's not going to be any self-justification. There's not going to be a defense lawyer that, that's there saying, well, let's, let's get you off because of lack of evidence. Or, or let's get some evidence suppressed. And so you get a, It's just going to be all naked and bare. And who we are is who we are. But you know what? There's going to be an opportunity to learn through that fire. So we're all going to be conformed to the image of Christ. The question is, we're going to embrace the opportunity now, and it's not comfortable? In which case, that conforming is going to give us this a massive overcoming thing where we get all these incredible rewards that are unthinkable. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the thought of man. That which I have for those who love me, is it going to be that? Or is it going to be, I made it, but just barely, through fire? And I'm going to learn all the things I could have learned walking by faith. I'm now, I'm now going to learn by sight. I still learn it, but all those rewards are not there for me. It's a simple book. If we will learn these lessons, if we will embrace these opportunities and walk faithfully and be His martyr, martyreo, His witness, then we get all these massively wonderful things and avoid a lot of stuff that we don't really want. And alternatively, if we don't, we miss out. Yeah, we might have the Balaam opportunity to have something of this world, but what Balaam ultimately got was death. Yeah, we might not have to face Jezebel down. We might not have to, to have the confrontation with Jezebel. Jezebel is eaten by dogs. So, it's real simple. If we have an ear... We can hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we've talked about these as ages. In the model I propose, the middle-aged church, where everything's all about appearances and so forth. But at, at the time this was written, each of these churches was a real church. Each of these problems was a real problem. And each of us can be anywhere or everywhere that these churches have. I can, get, I can see myself in every one of these eras. Can't you? You ever try to be a fake? Yeah, well, being a fake isn't a good deal. Thanks, God, for your grace, for your truth and your reality, that you gave us this book where you tell us to not be a fake, not have a reputation among men that's fake, but to live real and to start 
by repenting and saying, God, I don't want to be a fake. I want to start with what I know, where I'm at. And I want to start living a life where I watch for your return. And if we do, you've given us these amazing promises. Even that you will confess our name before the Father and His angels. What an amazing opportunity that would be. I pray that that's where we'll go. In Jesus' name, amen.